This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Lena Young is the Director of Communications at Clear, an influencer marketing platform. They help brands scale and measure influencer programs. With a database of millions of influencer profiles across the leading social platforms, including Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, Lena is currently living and working in Tel Aviv. She has held roles at Investing.com and SimilarWeb. Lena Young, welcome to ClientSide. Hi. Really fascinating speaking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. You you get your BA in 2010 from the Sarah Lawrence College in uh, America, in North America. How do you go from there to living and working in Israel? Well, I started my BA at Sarah Lawrence. And after a year, I decided that I wanted to take time off and maybe study abroad for a year in Israel. So I did a semester in Israel at a university and I really liked it. So I stayed. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> I finished my BA in Israel. That's fascinating. We we don't get a chance to speak to many marketers, senior marketers living and working out of Israel. What what surprised you most about living and working in Tel Aviv that you didn't expect before you got there? Well, I mean, it's been ten years, so I feel like so many things has surprised me. <laughs> sure. Um, like you know, on a macro level, like the culture has just constantly surprises me. Um, I remember one time I was on an interview and somebody asked me if I planned on having kids anytime soon, <laughs> like, huh. but they didn't mean it in the same way. I mean, they probably meant it in a way that was not great, but it was also like, it, it was, an, it was an acceptable question in Israel for sure. Um, and, but really I think what's been really surprising is the, just the growth of the tech scene here, because when I first moved here, it wasn't really at the state it's at now. You didn't have these global companies with these swanked out offices and amazing jobs. And in, in the heart of Tel Aviv, it, it was, it was kind of like a, like a diamond rough to find a good, a good English speaking job here. And that's also kind of made me notice that the interview process has gotten super insane too. Hmm. Yeah. In in 2013, you became editorial assistant for Investing.com. What did you take away from that experience that you've later used in subsequent roles? Um, well, it was my first job. So I think the main thing I, I got out of that was just what is work? What do you do when you go to work? <laughs> <laughs> um, then I figured that out. And um, it was also it was at a company that was focused on financial hmm. markets. It was kind of like... Um, Yahoo Finance, but a global version of that. Um, so I learned about um, kind of commodities and stocks. I, what I took away from that was that I don't really like that. Um, <laughs> but they let me do social media, and I and I and I got very interested in that. So I transitioned from there to my next role, which was just social media, because I did realize I liked that. Fast forward a few years, and you become content manager for Like a Glove, an agency in Israel. Um, there you were responsible for curating and maintaining the voice of all aspects of Like a Glove's online presence, both B2B and B2C uh, clients. Tell us what that experience was like. Um, I feel like the American answer would be it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Is but, that a euphemism for not the best experience? Um, I think every job I've had has been interesting. So right. <laughs> take for that what you will. But I mean, what's sure. interesting, you know, but this was extremely interesting, you know, 
it was um, a fashion tech brand, and they made these smart leggings that had Bluetooth sensors in them, and they would take your measurements and send it via Bluetooth to your phone. And auto- that is interesting. Yeah, it would suggest like uh, the best gene for your shape. So like the idea was interesting. Um, it was really small and I joined before the product was launched. So it was me, the two co-founders and, um, like one other person doing marketing and then kind of a, a room full of seamstresses that were helping to like, sew the, the sensors into the leggings. Um, and it was just a really funny culture gap because I would say everybody except for me was, was, was from like Eastern Europe, Soviet. Um, so it was like a culture gap inside of Israel. <laughs> it was already very funny. Um, but the, 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 the one thing that I found interesting was that it was a, a product that was geared for women that was created by men. And it was 2015. So people weren't really having the same types of social discourse that's happening now. But I think that at, it really helped me understand that, like, if you don't understand your target audience, then the it, some things are going to fall flat. And because the founders weren't familiar with the different pain points or also different types of women that could exist, I think it, it just made me realize that if you don't have certain people making decisions in your company, you're never going to get it completely right. Mm, really fascinating. You you then become communications manager for SimilarWeb in, in 2017. Um, after that role, you are now the director of communications for Clear, the number one influencer marketing platform uh, in the world. I'm going to ask you to qualify that a little bit. There are many other influencer marketing tools out there in the marketplace. What makes you different, special, stand out? Well, there's a lot of things that make Clear um, special. Um, but I think what I like about Clear is what I really liked about Similar Web was that we, um, everything about clear is data driven and technology is at the heart of what we do. And so, you know, our data science team developed something that is sophisticated and smart and empowers clients to make the best decisions regarding their influencer strategy. It's also an end to end tool and it supports all stages of the campaign from discovery to campaign analysis. So, you know, number one is, uh, that's, that's, I don't know if you can really quantify that, but it definitely sounds good in a Google ad. <laughs> but I think one of the things that does make us unique and has a value proposition more than anybody else is that we score influencers. So we have a machine learning kind of capability that looks at influencers um, performance based on all these different factors, like the content they create, the type of users in their network Um how many likes they get and it gets really macro and it can even see how many um, followers they have that have a real profile picture versus like sure. a ghosted profile picture. And oh. all of this stuff can help to understand how um, influential this user is. And it creates a score like, and certain scores are in different tiers of influencer type. And I think it helps brands understand that there's real data behind picking and working with influencers and to stick a, and that follower count, which was, for a long time, the leading metric is, is not reliable. And our, our clients really rely on our influencer score. And, it, and you really see that the, the quality of their campaigns are increased by using metrics like this. Let's talk a little bit about the state of influencer marketing today. Um, we're getting towards the end of 2020. How would you describe what the current state of influencer marketing is today? Um, is, is there an opportunity, is there still an opportunity for brands to use influencers to 
to get their brand messages in front of the right audience because it seems to me that the market seems pretty saturated at the moment. Discuss. Well, I don't think that there's one marketing channel that isn't saturated at the moment. Um, hmm. You know, Facebook ads, YouTube sure. ads, like I, everything yeah. is just like, ah, you know. But I think that the idea of influencers, like just what an influencer is, has become super popular in the last couple of years. People are more aware that there are people called influencers promoting products on Instagram and YouTube, right? But I don't think that that means that this awareness that transfers to brands actually working with influencers all the time. I think it just means people know what's going on. But yes, I think that there's definitely room for brands to get involved in this. Um, there's, first of all, if you think about the price point and the ability to connect with an authentic audience, like it, it's a really an unbeatable marketing channel. And I, I can't imagine, especially as budgets are kind of being shifted right now during the current climate that brands are going to be able to optimize, you know, the price points of some marketing channels versus influencer marketing, which is one reason I think that you're going to see more people moving towards this. Also, you're connecting with an audience that is so authentic and it's it's so much easier than just kind of the needle in a haystack approach to kind of PPC or native ads. Sure. If you think about it, like, I mean, I follow, I love food and I also love wine. So I follow yeah. anybody on Instagram that's going to recommend good wine to me if I trust their taste, right? Sure. And if they're going to promote a wine brand and I already subscribe to their values and I subscribe to their content and I'm going to believe that this is a good wine brand. So brands are partnering with people that followers already trust their word rather than just posting an ad on Facebook and A, hoping someone sees it. B, hoping that they like click on it and see hoping like hoping they don't report it. Hmm. We're really relying then on the influencer sort of staying true to their own values and their brand values. As, as we know, many of these influencers are young and impressionable and young people make mistakes uh, from time to time, as I have done many times in my in my youth. And I'm still doing actually deep in my 30s. Um, talk a little bit about Give us an example of some of the brands that are getting this right right now, because there are a number of uh, brands who have ventured into influencer marketing and haven't have haven't really gotten the results that they've wanted. Talk about some of the brands that are getting this right from a from a commercial from a consumer perspective that we may not have necessarily heard of and that aren't sort of mainstream front page headlines. Well, I think, I mean, I can think of so many brands that have gotten it right. Um, one of the brands that I think about is a, is a client of ours, actually. Um, they're, they're Canadian. It's the, they do tourism. They advertise and promote tourism to Quebec. And they did a really interesting campaign during COVID. And it was in French, but it was called For a Moment. And it was uh, people in Quebec would post pictures outside of their window to promote the natural beauty of Quebec and to kind of mm. promote like once we can travel, this is what, you know, you can see. And it also gave people kind of like a feeling of traveling through someone's window while we were all at home self-isolating. So, I mean, that's one way that influencer marketing is used that I don't think people really think about, mm. you know, and I really like that. Um, we also have a really awesome client, um, Smoking Free Children, and they do campaigns kind of about the um, dangers of smoking. Hmm. And uh, we have a lot of nonprofits, and I think that's great. And, and I can get kind of more commercial, too, if you want. Tuft & Needle is a mattress company. 
They're like a mattress in a box company, similar sure. to Casper. Mm-hmm. And they have this really cool campaign that they did called um, Wake Up Better. And they had different influencers with different lifestyles. They had kind of, they had a dancer in New York. They had, you know, a same sex couples, single parents, older people, a dog, but, you know, just kind of promoting their mattresses and saying that if you have a, a tough to needle mattress in your life, you're going to sleep better and you're going to wake up better to live your authentic version of your life and live your best life. I thought that was really cool. You know, if you talk about a saturated market, there's a lot of mattress in a box companies. Casper, sure. they're all over the subways in New York. I don't know if you've been to New York recently. And London as well. They're all over the place. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, this brand was like, all right, you know, do, do we need another uh, tube ad about a mattress? <laughs> Probably not, but influence. Probably not. You know? Mm. Hmm. So, so it, it's still seen as that, as a relatively undiscovered channel for certain niches you would say that i guess certain brands haven't maximized the use of because influencer marketing has been around for for a while now uh it's no longer a a secret there are still untapped segments of um the market that brands are still getting a lot of value from well i just want to say like influencer marketing has been around since like the dawn of time right you know celebrities were influencing us to buy things in commercial sure right? Those are the original. Those are the OG of influencers. But I think the untapped market right now is micro influencers and nano influencers. Like the idea that you don't need a celebrity to promote your product, that you need somebody that just has generated an authentic connection with their audience. And that when they promote your product, their audience is going to be more inclined to either make a purchase or have more recognition of your brand, that celebrities maybe don't need to be the people to do this. And and how do brands make sure that the influencers are actually authentically ambassadors for their products and not just someone who treats them as a disposable commodity as, as we referred to a little bit earlier um well there's a lot of different ways to to see that your influencer is authentic there's ways like that, that clear can totally help you with we check audience authenticity so we can kind of assess if an influencer's audience is real there's this thing called influencer pods which some people participate in to get kind of to raise their engagement rate and we're able to check if their engagements are authentic engagements or if they're coming from like generated bots. Um, We also, it's also, you can also look at audience demographics, say like, for example, Tough the Needle, like we were talking about, they're a UK, they're a US brand, say they really want to tap the UK market. Um, If they found influencers and they saw that the majority of their audience is based in the UK, then they're understanding that they kind of their location aligns with their goals. So that's one way. Also, you can look at a influencer's past collaborations and see who they're collaborating with. Like if you are um, um, like a a family friendly brand, for example, Mm -hmm. Disney or something, I don't know. And then you decide that you want to partner with a mommy blogger and then her last campaign was to promote CBD oil. Like maybe it's not the right fit. <laughs> sure. But maybe it is. You know, maybe maybe small moms that can <laughs> do it, it all. Is. Right. So, you know, it's good to take a look at this. But I also think what's really important is that brands shouldn't rely on influencers to be their political spokesperson, you know? Because if, if we've learned anything from 2020, it's that people like that might surprise you and say some really crazy things online. You never really know what someone's It's been known to happen from time to time, right? Definitely. So as a brand, you should make your, you know, affiliations or your your values known. And you should be very clear on where you stand on specific issues. 
That way, if, if someone does something or comes out and says something, it's very clear that this doesn't align with your brand. You don't have to make a press release and say, you know, we don't condone racism because you've already made a statement that you don't and that you've made a point of having a diverse workplace, for example. Hmm. There's still a lack of diversity and representation uh, among influencers. What, what can be done to ensure that brands have a more representative set of influencers to represent the wider society and their customer base? And why is that so important, especially uh, in 2020? Well, it's important in 2020 because there, we know what's been happening in 2020. But I think it's just extremely important for influencer marketing because influencers are representing these products, right? So it's kind of like when you have a marketing campaign for for beauty and then there's like the most like typically looking woman. So what what are you saying about beauty? But I think for brands to for there to be more diversity, it's simple. Brands just need to find more diverse influencers to partner with. And they need to be they need to have diversity kind of at the forefront of their thought and they probably should be practicing what they preach in the workplace. And I mean, every industry needs more diversity. I'm sure mm. we can agree on, you know, not just influencer marketing. People should just be making more decisions to, to hire more people that, you know, aren't, don't look like you. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Let, let's talk a little bit about your role at, at Clear. Um, you joined as head of communications in March 2019. You've been in the role just over a year now. How prepared did you feel for the role? And what things were top of your agenda when you started? Well, I don't think I'll, I, you ever feel 100% prepared for a role. Um, <laughs> I definitely felt prepared to work at a smaller company. I was kind of over the, uh, was it the office politics of a larger company. Sure. Yeah. It's just not, it's not my jam, but um, so I was definitely, I just wanted something a little bit more relaxed. Um, I, my top priority was to really understand influencer marketing. Cause at the time when I joined, I thought all influencers were Kylie Jenner. I didn't really realize how <laughs> dynamic it was. There's, there's more than Kylie Jenner. There's uh, more than Kylie Jenner. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, they're actually interesting. I had, I yeah. been speaking with some influencers. I had an interview with this girl in London and she, mm. she like only wears Victorian dresses and she lives not London. Sorry. She lives like out in the countryside, I think by mm. like Kent or something. Is sure. there a town called Kent? Uh, there is. And they all wear Victorian dresses. There. <laughs> well. <laughs> she actually does this and she like lives in a cottage. It's very cool. Right. And she wow. partners with like a lot of um, alcohol brands because they want to show how like she can make a gin and tonic in her garden. And um, huh. yeah, I thought it was like, it was just yeah. so niche and like, she was really quirky. I, I was like, this is, I could get into this. Really interesting. Uh, in, in the pre-interview, I asked you what's been the red thread throughout your career. And you said something really interesting. You said, you, you make whatever you do not boring. Give us an example of what you mean by that you're going to be bored at work at some point. Like it's an inevitable feeling that you're going to experience. Um, So the way that I try to not get bored is to bring myself into what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's things that I'm passionate about and there's things that I care about. And if I'm going to just spend my whole day writing or talking or researching things that I really don't care about, then I I'm going to get bored. Mm -hmm. So I always try to bring in my passion to my work. And then I think I'm more passionate about it. Like, for example, I do a lot of work kind of helping to figure out how brands are like creating successful influencer strategies. 
and how these strategies are being conveyed to their audience. So I kind of have to take, I always try to look at brands that I'm passionate about, or I find values that I care about that are promoted in the brands. So that, mm. it's, you know, for me more interesting. And also I think has more impact on people. Like I really like Dove. I think that they do great work for equality and for diverse representation. Um, Thread Up is a fashion brand. It's an online mm-hmm. consignment store. I don't know if you've heard of them. I have. Yeah. And so I think they do really great work with influencers. They partner specifically with environmentalist fashion influencers. Like it's a thing. And it's like a really cool concept. They look for influencers that have already stated that they're not going to buy fast fashion anymore. And they only wear reusable fashion. And and they they do really great work kind of promoting the idea that you can be eco-friendly and fashionable. You've you've had a very successful career in communications and, and, and marketing. Talk about some of the early experiences that have shaped the way that you think about marketing and the way you think about growing businesses online. You know, I think when I started working, the the idea of marketing was just such a different idea than it is now. People just didn't really know what marketing meant when it came to digital marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the term kind of transitioned to Marcom, you know, (laughs) and then digital marketing. And now it's it's like all such a inbound marketing always is changing. I mean, I think content marketing. I I think um, the the integration of data into your work to really see what's working and what's not working has changed everything for me because everything was done before on a whim and you kind of just like like, hoped it worked and, you know. Mm. Now I think like that's really been a, a real turning point for me. Huh. The the ability to measure uh the the ability to measure performance. Yeah, analytically. Like, to measure like like anything technically. If you're doing uh if you if your blog is geared for SEO or um kind of to measure how many people are searching for a specific search term sure. and like, going to your blog t- for that search term, what's the most read article, how many people are clicking on your like subscribe for a demo link everything like just the ability to measure the impact of your work has really changed everything for me because before like I I didn't know I knew what I was doing but I didn't know if I was doing it right hmm. really fascinating there there has been a, a criticism of the over-reliance on data that marketers use to kind of validate and prove a, a business hypothesis before they actually press the button and in, invest in the campaign or sort okay. of convince a, a client and there is an argument to say that there there are uh, sort of not everything in marketing can be measured analyst, analytically and that there is an emotive sort of side to marketing and a behavioral science side of marketing, as we've seen from the work of Thaler and Tversky and, and all the behavioral economics mm-hmm. uh, people who have really sort of pushed back against this idea of sort of using data uh, as the definitive way of measuring marketing performance how much of marketing is data or based on the numbers and how much of marketing is about the creative intuitive side of of marketing is it is it all sort of rational left brain or is there some creative right-brained mix in there as well I definitely think it has to be a mix of both you know because you're not going to get somebody to click on your ad if it's not creative Sure. But at the same time, I think it really depends on what your KPI is. So it definitely makes sense with what you're speaking about. I mean, if your KPI is really lead generation 
um, then I think it's much easier to use data to measure the impact of your work. But for example, when I was at SimilarWeb, most of what we were quantifying our success was on the brand team was brand exposure. There's not really a KPI for do mm. people know who I am? So right. we used like um, the search term SimilarWeb and we just kind of measured if people are searching for SimilarWeb more. But like, that's not really adequate, right? If I know, I know about brands, I've heard about brands. It doesn't mean I'm going into Google and searching them. It's a very specific type of person that would do that. Um, hmm. So you're kind of just like basing your results and your research on one specific persona. But what about the, like, what about the people that just can remember things and then they're just going to kind of on a whim make a purchase? You're not, you yeah. have no way to evaluate them. Hmm. Really, really fascinating. Lena, I've, I- I know I've only got you for a few more minutes, so let's get into our favorite questions. These, this is our speed round. These are the questions that we ask all of the guests that, that come on the show. So I'm going to fire some questions at you. If you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that would be great. Um, let's start with the first one. Which CMO has the most difficult job in marketing right now? Um, I think the CMO for Airbnb or any airline right now. Oh, yeah. Or, or I would say anybody at Condé Nast right now. Huh. Condé Nast, why? Well, I mean, everything that happened recently with, like, the Black Lives Matter drama. And I think also, you know, they've been, like, interestingly convincing themselves that people are buying magazines for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, are they, when are they going to give up? <laughs> what it's, it's, so, it's so fascinating because I, I walk past the... Uh, the supermarket shelves and and every time I walk past them there are new magazines there all the time so in my head I'm thinking well there must be a market for uh magazine even though I don't buy them anymore they still keep showing up time and time again so there yeah. someone must be buying them I think um, that companies are paying the magazines to put the stars on the cover at this point really fascinating hmm. dying dying a slow death um yeah. what's Talk, talk talk a little bit about what you do for fun when you're not the director of communications for Clear. Um, I love yoga, so I'm doing a lot of yoga. I, I also live two minutes from the beach, so I'm always at the beach. And um, I love wine, so <laughs> sometimes wine I put all of it together. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? Um... I, you know, I think I just had a real, I think that what's interesting is that I, this, this, I never in my head was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I it, mm. it kind of just organically fell into my lap because if you speak English in Israel, you're going to work in specific positions. And I'm fortunate that it's, it's a, it's good work, you know, but I think that's really what's interesting. I, I never really imagined that this is what I would do. And I, and I really enjoy doing it. What excites you most about your current role and position? Um, I like that I, my, my job's really dynamic. Like it says I'm the director of communications, but I work at a small company and at small startups, you wear like eight different hats. So I like that mm. I can kind of take on different projects and different roles. It's, it's nice. Hmm. Aside from Israel, if you could live and work anywhere else in the world, where would it be and why? I thought it was London and I don't mean to disrespect you, but I was there <laughs> a few months ago. Overrated. I, I was just there like as an adult this time and yeah. bars are not fun bars i know that it's probably the worst thing to say to a british person and i apologize it's fair i'm you know there are far worse things that you could have said but uh but, I I but i'll take it part of town i will i it definitely was probably my bad <laughs> so if if not london where else would it have been 
Oh, now my my heart is set on Vienna right now. I, I felt ah, like beautiful Vienna. city. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful city. It's really nice people, really cool, really cheap. Yeah, really agree with you. Um, and my final question, Lena, if a college graduate or a millennial comes to you and asks you for advice to become, to get their career started in the marketing world, what advice do you give her? I would say marry rich and don't go to work. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. Someone should have told me that. <laughs> I would just say, you know, be prepared that your first couple jobs maybe aren't going to be what you expect, but eventually you'll get there. Great place to end. Lena Young, thank you very much for being on Clientside. Thank you. This is really great. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Clientside, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email millie at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Millie Bell and Natasha Rosich, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Clientside from Fox Agency. And we're done. Thank you so much. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.